and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter or so at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Brandon. Good to see you this wonderful, wonderful day. How are you doing? Good. In the middle of a busy week, but there was sunshine here in Portland today, so yeah, that was nice. Yeah. 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 This was the week that, yeah, down in Salem as well, threatened, uh, they threatened us with rain all week. And it's been like the past few days of like mostly sun, which has been great. Yeah. And uh, the older I I'll get, take the that more, kind of mistake. The older I get, the more easily manipulated I am into gratitude by the sky uh-huh. or heaven, depending yeah. on your translation. The, the heavens? Yeah. Well, speaking of translations, we do have. Uh, enough in Ephesians 4 that we're not even going to cover the whole chapter in this episode. We're going to do, uh, let's see, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, uh, for those of you joining on YouTube or Facebook, hello. Uh, we will have the translation up on the screen here momentarily. And for those of you listening on the podcast, hey. We highly encourage you to read through it through a link in the show notes. Uh, and as always, don't forget the footnotes. They are actually quite extra long uh, in these verses. So don't miss out on that. Uh, go ahead and hit pause and give it a read. Uh, oh, you know, I should say what we're actually going to be talking about. In verse 3 with footnote B, we're going to talk about that word bonding. Uh, in verse 8 with footnote H we're going to talk about each and every one and the whole plural that's going to be a big theme this this week is the plural nature of so much going forward where it's often translated singular in verse 11 we're going to talk about that big list of uh, gifts of people there are Uh, and then uh, verse 12 footnote Q putting together or assembling and then we're going to conclude with verse 13 with footnote R. Uh, and it's really just the whole the whole verse there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Uh, a lot of those are going to really be circling back to how often the plural versus singular is the way it's finally translated is decided by translators, not the actual Greek, which is weird, but I get ahead of myself anyway. Go ahead, read it. We'll be back. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So the first verse we want to talk about is that word bonding towards the end of verse three. And the reason I want to talk about this is really a bigger theme that uh, from f- chapter four forward, uh, the first three chapters, the image of the temple was this really steadily building image that shows up in a lot of translation decisions. Like it's it's not just a word that shows up, but there were all these little subtle places where the logic of an argument or a metaphor showed up. And uh, Brandon, you made it a point to bring those front and center and make sure that we're not well, like, go ahead and be dragged along by the metaphor. Cause Paul was clearly right. game for that. Yeah. I got one point. I, the word is literally rooted, but I said entrenched because that fit with laying the foundation in the trench that it was talking mm, about mm-hmm. in context. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, in in four forward, uh, the word, the metaphor of a body uh, for the church in particular is um, is the metaphor. There are there are a couple others that show up, but the one that Paul seems to like abruptly shift towards is body, and that shows up in your translation here in verse three with the word uh, bonding. Can you talk us through this verse? Yeah. In. It's not obvious, even in my translation, because I couldn't figure out how to do it in a way that didn't just seem 
just weird. Um, so, yeah. so like maybe, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's a way to do it. I actually toyed with hyphenating. Um, and then I felt like it was weird. Um, so, but the word for bond there is literally the body part, a ligament. Um, hmm. And it has both meanings because like the Greek word for that body part essentially means the thing that bonds the parts of you together. So it, it, it fits kind of works both ways. Um, but it's essentially the first word here in this, like a whole list of body metaphors, which starts the very next verse, you are one body. Um, so yeah, striving to protect the unity produced by the life with life breath with bonding peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the, some, you might see bond of peace in some, some translations, which is fine. Um, the Greek there is a genitive uh, of peace, but there's not one way to translate genitives in English. There's of is kind of just like the simplest way, but it, it this is what I'm calling, at least I think this is what's called an attributed genitive. So it's making saying that the first word, the first noun is describing the second noun. Um, okay. So bond is describing what kind of piece it is. Um, nope. So it's a piece, a piece that bonds. Okay. In English, is that like, is that a gerund where a noun becomes? A... Um, that would be no. a participle. Oh, okay. A, yeah. Yeah. Gerund is also an ing, but that's more like a, a concept. Like running is my favorite thing to do. Oh, that's running okay. there would be a gerund. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and so this word bonding is is ligament. It means it's fleshy, right? Yeah, it's a part of the body that holds two other parts of the body together. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those translation shifts that doesn't um, it doesn't upend anything particularly strong. It just mm -hmm. shows how much. I guess, rhetorical decoration there is that we've just, for whatever reason, said, oh, that, nah, we could do better than that. Yeah, or we don't know how to do it. That's not just super awkward. Yeah, is, like, yeah, like in this case, it's like, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to strive to protect but, the unity produced by the life breath with ligamentous peace. Right, right. Yeah. yeah but what we do get to is later on part of the reason that that's where this is worth talking about like you said is because this is not the last first this is not the last body metaphor here it keeps going and it's really important and there are ones where it, other translations do ignore the theme mm -hmm. and it changes the meaning mm -hmm. in a way that is not faithful to what this is trying to say mm. and we'll get to that yeah. 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 It does. It shifts it for me as I let my imagination sort of settle into and like wrap itself up in this image of being a, the body of Christ and what ligaments do uh, as opposed to like this bonding piece, like this, mm -hmm. that's just a much more generic word for connection right but to think of like you know the the piece of the local body of the the local colony of jesus people that's what holds them together and what helps them actually be able to move fully mm -hmm. yeah it, it it allows me to want to play with the metaphor more and see if there might be an additional layer of meaning to the mm -hmm. this idea of peace as it's used here yeah i could play with the language a little bit do and do something like peace like a ligament mm. um <laughs> but then then we get songs thrown in there like peace yeah. like a ligament peace yeah so yeah 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 oh wow that might be worth doing Watch as long Maranatha. as you don't sing. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So let's go on to the next one. Uh, I'm actually going to jump down to uh, APES. That way we can talk about all those plural singular ones together. APES. Sure. Gosh, sure. I'm just immediately jumping to geek talk here. Uh, yeah, apostles, pro- prophets, mm-hmm. evangelists, uh, shepherds, and teachers. These the right. conventional translations. An, an acronym for the list that's that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So I'll get that actually on the screen. There we go. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about these words and why they're more helpful than a pest. Yeah. E P H V S T. Right. Right. In this one. Um, the footnote O there on gave it's, it's or maybe it's actually not on gave it maybe it's p but one of those footnotes in there it's talking about the wording of this it took me some time to figure out how do i want to word this and i think i ended up landing with i don't think this is that different uh structurally like some of the specific words are different for the people but then like NET or ESV, I think they also do. He also gave some blank. Um, But I think what it did was catch my attention of what that, that that's actually what it's saying that what is being given are the emissaries are the prophets are the heralds of victory as I have it here. Um, Not, it's not that the role of, prophet is being given to some people that's not what Mm. it's saying it's some prophets are being given to the church Hmm. um being given to the body what's the implication of that i'm curious um it shifts quite a bit i think it's those roles are not gifts like they are I mean, you could be grateful for it, but it's not. We tend to put the people in those roles kind of up on a pedestal mm-hmm. um, that they've been given something awesome. And it's like, they are the gift in itself. That's these roles are important for the church. Having the role is not important at, to the individual, like adding value to them in some way. Mm. Um if they respond to the call, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's the gift. It's the gift is for the body having these roles carried out. It's mm-hmm. not a prestige or status thing to have one of these roles. That that's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the footnotes, I just, listed a couple of other places where I think this is in view um, earlier in Ephesians and a place in Colossians where Paul talks about himself having been assigned to be like the manager of the household. Yeah. Um, That's he was given to the church in Colossae to the church in Ephesus Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as the gift they needed to help create this unity that he's trying to help them create great for in the next verse for putting together christ's body until we can all arrive at unity Mm -hmm. that's why the gifts are given the gifts being the people in these roles yeah 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 so the two Um, that you change go ahead yeah yeah now i was going to do exactly where you're going is looking at the specific words here Wherever two or more Brandons talk over one another. That's right. Uh, The first one being emissaries, traditionally apostles. Um, And I settled on emissaries way back when I was translating apostolos in Matthew um, and have kept it. I think it works well. It's not a like super common word in English otherwise, but neither is apostle other than in religious contexts. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's like a comic book character named Apostle, but yeah, maybe yeah, a pro wrestler. But... Maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the idea here is someone who is sent, and it the the Greek word did not have an explicitly religious meaning to it. Didn't have a 
a specific role in the church already in view. It was just already a Greek word before sure. these these scriptures were being written, um, and it and it just meant someone who was sent to represent the interests of the person who did the sending um, to speak on their behalf, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So we try to make it a capital a and say only 12 maybe plus one abnormally born going and referencing romans and then like then there's big arguments about well mary magdalene was the apostle to the apostles and like is that an official title is that like guys calm down it's just anybody who is sent by anybody else is an apostolos period mm-hmm. um, i mean it know, did it did seem to you know, take on a sense of a particular function. Like there, there was a m- more to it than someone who was sent. It seems by the end of the first century. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it got used, it became a little bit of a technical kind of a title. Um, yeah. But it was a usage that was developed, not inherent in the meaning Mm -hmm. and like here here's a question that i think is worth asking is jesus an apostle (laughs) didn't the church didn't the east and west split over this oh Uh, probably the spirit the spirit is what the spirit being yeah yeah um because john uses apostolos about jesus jesus uses it about himself several times and it's the same word here yeah um, and then there's another Greek word for send, pempto, uh, apostello to send or pempto to send. And they seem to be just like overlapping synonyms with no distinction as far as I can tell. And it's interesting when it gets used as a noun, it uses apostolos as someone who is sent, but it uses pempto. Uh, I don't remember the noun version of that one off the top of my head, but it uses that one to, when it's talking about the one doing the sending. Okay. Um, huh. so, yeah. There is something to the church itself that is fundamentally apostolic, that is fundamentally prophetic, that is fundamentally evangelistic or evangelical. There's uh, something fundamentally shepherdy and te- like, these are good words to describe part of the nature of the people of God. Mm-hmm. And so, so it, it, it feels like a, a sleight of hand that doesn't produce a trick to, to me to say that like, well, was Jesus an apostle? Like, I don't know. I yet. Yes. And mm-hmm. it, it seems like there was something like the early church was using the word apostle to describe a certain calling Mm -hmm. that was not necessarily limited to that first century. Um, Right. I I think part of what makes it feel important mm -hmm. that the conversation is that it then has become a huge debate, whether women can be considered apostles. Yes. Um. Because if it's only this specific list of people, mm-hmm. they were men, the people on the list that are included in the list anyway, that people are insisting on is the list. Right. Um, and then you get other scholars who are correct uh, <laughs> in saying that, no, these other women had this Greek word used about them. And then the people say, no, it's only men. And the way we're going to do that is by saying that only men are on this official list of capital A apostles and any women who have this word, they're just people who happened to be sent and they're not apostles. And it's like, no, it's all the same word. It doesn't get used any differently in any way. Yeah. The only reason you're making a distinction is because you have pre-decided that it should only be men and not women. Yeah. Junia is named as an apostle. It is a feminine name in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, he mentions an apostle named with, that is a woman. <laughs> like yeah, it's, that it, is a woman. It's yeah. right there. So like, it's a lot of, um, 
it's a lot of horse shit. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the amount of uh, the pretzeling of and contorting that people do to justify only men can be this one thing. Yeah, it's it does not hold together. So I can appreciate your effort here to soften it from that like capital A apostle where like we're really like putting some pretty tight hems on who gets that word. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the shit, the shitty part rather. Right. Uh is like putting boundaries on it mm-hmm. instead of trajectories, which are different. Right. And I do that partly by what I've been doing about all sorts of things by not using a technical term. Mm-hmm. Maybe emissary apostolos does have a particular thrust to it that developed in a way that was different from the general Greek speaking world. And that's okay. And we can use emissary that way. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's doesn't, it isn't inherent to the English word apostle. Yeah. We can, we can still take this word and use it in all, in this whole spectrum of ways and get into weird turf wars about it. But (laughs) at least, at least it's a word that is, in our language. <laughs> yeah, because it has an equivalent outside of the Bible. Yeah. In, yeah. yeah. So. And then uh, evangelists. Yeah, it, it disappeared, didn't it? It sure did. Um, heralds of victory, which I don't know if I'm going to stick with that or not, um, but that's essentially what it is. I think we've, we've talked before about news of victory or triumphant message being the way that I'm translating uh, euangelion, traditionally gospel or good news. Sure. Um, and this word is related to that. So this is a person delivering mm-hmm. that message of the victory of the king or general who's returning from battle victorious and announcing to the people, hey, they're coming back. Let's celebrate. Um, that's this person here is the person who is making, letting everyone know what the outcome was and that that it's almost time to celebrate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. making that announcement Mm -hmm. oh so it kind of fits with that imagery it sure does and yeah the word evangelists can either mean the people who were one of the four people credited with writing matthew mark luke and john Right, yeah, it has become to be used that way. Yeah, yeah. like some, some yeah, again, the, the sort of narrow gospel writers. Yeah, gospel writers. Yeah, like yeah. the the storytellers who made it into the big sacred library. Um, but overwhelmingly, Mike's in the exposure I've had, evangelists means um, something like door to door salesman, the sales t- team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. Which, how American of us. <laughs> so to shift it and to say like, no, there mm-hmm. is a sense of like, some people are, uh, have a gift. It's actually the gift for the body, not mm-hmm. for right. the neighborhood. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? It is. That the evangelists are not for the people outside the church. They're for the church. They're, they are some of the gifts given in order to mm-hmm. supply the service work to, yes. for putting together yes. the pieces of Christ's body uh, to create unity. And sometimes the encouragement of like, you know, the battle is won. Like mm-hmm. Christ has exposed right. the bullshit of the principalities and powers uh, every ism and uh, petty this division that we want to make into our security blankets. Mm-hmm. Christ has vanquished those. There is nothing that can separate you from God. And there right. is nothing in God that is more like Zeus than the crucified one. Like th- that's good news. That's incredible news mm-hmm. that is encouraging to us. Like people right. who can who helps can us stay the, the course. Yeah, who can speak yeah. of the victory of God. Yeah. When we start to get discouraged looking around, going, This is not looking like the kingdom of God to me. Like yeah. 
I have some heralds of victory, some evangelists come and remind us it's mm-hmm. one. I know it, you, I know it hasn't arrived yet, but it it's one. Yeah. All right, let's let's explore this pattern here. Uh, can you broad, set it up broadly for us? In I, th- I think the earliest in this chapter is verse eight about singular and plural. Yeah. So everywhere that Paul addresses the audience, the the, the readers or listeners mm-hmm. of of Ephesians, it's always plural. Uh, it's always talking to the group as a whole, as a, a cohesive, as a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, every instance of you or your is plural. English doesn't have a different form for singular and plural you. Um, it used to, but not anymore. So it's the difference between like ye and thou. <laughs> Yes. Uh, in an older form of English. But, mm-hmm. but there's, I think, two places. This is one of them. It's actually verse seven, not eight. My apologies there. How dare you? Um, Pardon I my think deviation. it's two, but it may, maybe three. And this is one of them where there's a heni hekato is the Greek phrase. Mm-hmm. And it's what I translated as each and every one. It's this really emphatic eachness. Like there's another word that gets used all over the place, pas, uh, to mean each or every. Okay. It's not that. This hecato is is a much less commonly used word that's very emphatically like dividing this one and this one separately. <laughs> um, and then it's has the henny is one on the front of that so it's each and every one really emphatically so it's like i was talking to all of you as a group now i'm looking at you and you and you and you and you make eye contact i'm talking to you um but it's almost never that way it's and it's really emphasized when it is so you know Mm -hmm. when it's happening Mm -hmm. if it's not emphasizing it it's not happening it's to the whole group um but it wants each person here in seven to know that generosity was given to each of you which yeah interestingly to me it's it's not like and i want you on your best behavior you and you and you and you it's like no when he's talking about like hey treat each other well he talks to the whole group when he starts talking about like, this is for you, like all the good things that we're talking about, this gener- these gifts, this generosity that's given, yeah, like it's for everybody, but it, it's for you. Like no one's left out. Mm-hmm. Each for, y- for y'all and everyone. Yeah. And yeah, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, not just men, not just women, not just cisgendered folks, not just not 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 nine binary, like everybody. Mm-hmm. Each of us is included in this. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, it, it and, does. Yeah, it's ahead. remarkable how often throughout uh, Paul's letters, it takes extra work to make sure the plural nature of you is used. Mm-hmm. Like I know you, you're committed to not using y'all, but that is. For American, I don't know uh, if I'm committed to it. I just haven't been doing it. <laughs> well, well, then I'll I'll be praying for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because it, I, there's just there's not a accessible word for it that I don't. I just like it. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, it's a good word for it. It just doesn't. It doesn't come naturally for me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, one on timely born. Uh, yeah, it, every turn, particularly in this letter where Ephesians is so much about how you who are different from each other, you who are just separate people, 
separate mm-hmm. individuals. How are you going to weave a life together? And mm-hmm. what is the work of Christ? What is the work of creator? What is the work of the life breath in that creating one people together and create like figuring out how to just create a life together with our difference. Mm-hmm. And when Ephesians is read with the singular you, it's so easy to just hear it as him shifting over towards, and now here's some good advice for individuals to be good Christians, mm-hmm. not members of a body, yeah. not, not members uh, with a role in the temple. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the role in the temple thing makes me think of how often Ephesians becomes the go-to place to support individual predestination for heaven after you die. Is it really? Um, yeah. Ephesians one gets pointed to and it doesn't work It's <laughs> because it's not about individuals. It talks about being chosen. Y'all are chosen as a collective. Yes. To be the sacred people who are meant to serve the whole world to bring them all in connection with God. Not I've selected you and you to go to heaven after you die, but not you, 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 and you. Sorry, you're out of luck. Yeah. And that's some like uh, the way you phrase it there is so much more interesting, even than sort of like a, a partial step up of it's not so much you individuals are as opposed to you individuals being getting to go to heaven. It's not just shifting from that to like, y'all get to go to heaven it's like it's a much bigger sense of what election or predestination or whatever it is is Mm -hmm. the purpose of your calling of y'all's calling is god's broadly like interested in a people exploring and uh, and receiving inheriting god's reign not just right i can mean individuals up into it (laughs) Right. And people living God's reign become the light to the world to help others see the way to live God's reign. There is no in and out in that. It's a, here, you saw it. Now you know how to show other people how to see it too, so that we can all be included. And if we are being remade into the image of the triune God, the God who is a circle dance of father, son, and spirit uh as the traditional confession goes then of course god's work in the world has a fundamental yallness <laughs> a, a we-ness a, uh yes thank you <laughs> listeners you'll never know what we're laughing at uh maybe you will uh yeah that's that's a profound shift mm-hmm. it's big and, and I, I lost my train of thought. It's a profound shift that isn't new. Like, yeah, this no. is what people were have been talking about since the beginning of this. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until later that these other weirder ideas started getting involved. I've said before that to the shock of those hearing it who we're much closer to it that Calvinism is extremely selfish. Ooh. Um, which seems counterintuitive to those who know it because it's all about not being selfish, right? You don't think about yourself. It's all about like doing all the right things, like loving your neighbor, following the rules, not thinking about what brings me pleasure and, and basing my decisions on that. Selfish isn't, that's not really what selfish means. Selfish is, is like, what's, what is life about? Is it about me or is it about everybody? Yeah. And Calvinism is all about, am I going to heaven when I die? And like all the other stuff is just the details of how I know that. Yeah. Yep. It's a and that's not problem. what scripture is about. By Calvinism, that is the core question. Well, and by like open marketplace Christianity competing with other Christianities, like I think in 
um, post-Reformation Europe and then into America, increasingly that market differentiation really emphasized like what's what's the deliverable? What's the thing that secures people into this tribe, not that tribe uh, that mm-hmm. really stands out? Spiritual capitalism. It is. It mm-hmm. so is. Uh, and consumerism, like it's it predates. Yeah. That might be a better church. word for it, actually. A yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, my my wife is uh, I like saying that now. My yeah. wife is uh, one of the first times you've gotten to. Is, at least yeah, it's part of, yeah, is um, part of the Roman church. Uh, she's Catholic. And for her, as she's tried to understand evangelicalism, because uh, she works with a lot of folks kind of on their way out of evangelicalism or all the way out. Um, and understanding that dynamic of, oh, so, okay, the reason you guys fixate so much on this stuff really is assuring people that they're getting a good product <laughs> and mm-hmm. it distorts everything. Right. Everything. Yeah, it's not about a good product. No. Which is why evangelists aren't supposed to be salesmen. There it is. Or or sales Sales anything. Yeah. Sales can. Uh yeah. So let's let's move along to another example here. Uh it's a little bit askance, but uh in verse 12, you've got putting together. Could you read a bit there and yeah, what's, what's interesting? So it's right after our list of the gifts of these various roles being given to the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that in that giving, he is supplying the sacred people, the sacred for service work, for putting together Christ's body until we all can arrive at unity produced by the son of God's faithfulness and way of thinking at a complete person. Mm. Um more traditionally that's building up there instead of putting together uh, which isn't wrong it's it's a correct word the, the word literally is like con- for the construction of christ's body um but the i think putting together or assembling fits the context right here um, better, which you, know, you can put together a house and you can assemble a house and you can build up a house and you can construct a house like fine, like they're all possible ways to to do it. And, that, and that's really what the word is. Oiko dome is literally like to build a building, to build a house. Yeah. Um, or the construction of a house. So but when I hear and have heard building up or teachings about that idea, um, <laughs> it has either been one of two things and neither of them are this. Nope. Um, yeah. So the first being the better of the two, like encouraging somebody, encouraging an individual, building them up, encouraging them, uh, maybe training. Yeah. Edification, which edifice build up. Oh shit. Um that's where this comes from. Yeah. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah. Mind yeah. blown. Um and so yeah, we use edification like encouraging someone and helping them get stronger. And it comes from this that we is why we call it that. Yeah, yeah. Um and I think that's a very good thing to do. And it's not what this is talking about. Hmm. Um, the other way that I've heard it used is like building the church as in recruiting new members. Um, and again, not what this is talking about. Remember, he gave some emissaries, prophets, heralds, shepherds, and teachers as supplying the sacred this is for christ's body this is not for those outside the church this is for the church yeah the work is getting all the pieces of the church all the pieces of christ's body connected with each other it's that ligaments of peace earlier Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um 
So it's creating unity is what this is, not increasing in size. Yes. Yes. You know, as I think about it, there there may be something to be said for the way in which a conventional notion of evangelist, um, something like that, is actually for the edification of the body uh, and the, the building up, um, mm-hmm. the putting together uh, and ligamenting. If an evangelist, if a herald of victory is bringing that news in trans, um, ugh, I'm going to start using some seminary words here, but contextualizing it uh, to a people group that you know, the church may not be comfortable with. Uh, but they're heralding the good news of Jesus Christ there. To me, they're infolding into, like, let's just take a very a hypothetical here of a church mostly can uh, overwhelmingly of um, straight people mm-hmm. uh, and non-closeted or uh, only closeted queer folk. If someone's call, if God has gifted a church with a herald of victory to be able to enunciate that victory in LGBTQ circles uh, outside of the church, that is, um, and they come in, they're brought in, the church is edified, the church is ligamented, that we are being stretched like muscles stretched in exercise to grow beyond the shape that we had to Mm -hmm. enfold um, our beloved um, LGBTQ sisters, brothers, and others. Like that's absolutely, I think the best of what an evangelist is when it's how they are called to ligament the body. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you're right. And I like the way that I don't remember exactly which part of what you said made me think of this, but something about what you said made me think of it as like being for the benefit of the church to do Mm -hmm. that. Like if we're bringing in people that stretch us, that is good for us. But the rhetoric is always about you're doing them a favor. Yeah. When you're evangelizing, like you're trying to convince, and in fact, you're trying to convince them that you're doing them a favor. Yeah. It's never about like we grow, we are stretched and it's challenging and it's hard, but truly having people who are different than us welcomed and included is good for all of us. Uh, That's not ever part of the message that I've heard. Not, not when we talk about evangelism anyway. No. Yeah. It's usually, well, what are they, are they going to lay down their sin? Are they going to get their life in lined up? Are they going to, um, conform to our vision of membership in this church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's much more about changing them, but this mm-hmm. feels more like about changing us. Yeah, like how is the the gift of difference? Uh, how does it have the gift of exposing my own um, rigidity? and need to stretch and get more limber Mm -hmm. as part of the body. Yeah. Well, I guess that was a little bit of a detour from the, the y'all versus individual thing here. I mean, Uh, (laughs) not really though, because we're emphasizing how all of this keeps has traditionally in American church anyway, been read as for individuals about individuals, but this is all, about and for the collective. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I think the last thing I want to talk with you uh, about is in verse 13, you put this in the show notes here, uh, and it was a fascinating example of contrasting your translation with, with other translations. So I'm going to mm-hmm. figure out how to stop sharing screen, and now I'm going to share this one instead. Um, there, yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. Yep. Great. So, yeah, what are we looking at here? 
Yeah. So this is verse 13. Um, the version on the top there mm-hmm. is from the English standard version, which is a pretty, <laughs> pretty widely used among evangelicals. Um, yes. Is maybe my example of the worst widely used version out there. <laughs> Short of like the Patriots Bible um, or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting because it gets talked about really enthusiastically as being the best version by a lot of people. Um, and what they mean by best is most literal. Is most sexist is what they mean. At least the people that I've personally spoken yeah, with, yeah. what they mean is the most literal. Yeah. Um, and that's only actually sometimes true. A lot of the decisions that I make end up being more literal than the ESV. Um, Case which point. I don't really know how to explain that exactly, but they claim to be the most literal. Um, but yeah, like, like you just made reference to, it exists explicitly because people didn't like the fact that things like brothers and sisters was being used to translate Adelphoi instead of just brothers. Um, there's an article I read about a passage in, shoot, I don't remember which book, but somewhere in the, the prophets that I would have to look up now where it has the same word being used about men and women in different places. But when it gets used about women, it's translated as whore, <gasps> but when it's used about men, it's something pretty like with very little impact it's not not judgmental it's not it's not about sexual misconduct it's just like yeah those those guys but when it's about women it's whore um this is like the most explicitly misogynistic translation out there Mm -hmm. and it's the favorite of evangelicals everywhere yes indeed (laughs) Or so they were told by their pastors and seminarians. Uh, Yeah, and the example you've got here is uh, another case of uh, prior commitments, um, Mm -hmm. making them bulldoze over a lot of cool insights. Yeah. Yeah, even committed to individualism. Yeah, and I want to kind of look at each one of them. Um, The one that stands out to me right away, though, is in the, the purplish color there, manhood. Yeah, I want to make oh. sure people can mm. um, who are listening are able to hear sure. this. Sure. Yeah, let, let me we, let's read them both side by side here. Um, until we at, this is the ESV one. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's mine. Until we can arrive at unity produced by the son of God's faithfulness and way of thinking at a complete person at Christ's standard of full maturity. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty different. And technically you could, it, it can be translated the way that ESV does it. It doesn't make sense in the context um, it, the immediate context and, and the larger context of the scriptures as I understand them. Um, but it makes perfect sense in the larger context as evangelicals are committed to understanding what the point of everything is, is if I believe the right things, I go to heaven when I die. Um, if that's the only question that matters, the way the ESV translates it here makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so I was looking at the, the word manhood there in the purplish color as we had it highlighted compare, compared to my person. Um, and mostly just to say ESV is like the only modern translation that uses a masculine word there. Um, looked at NIV and NRSV and... Uh, and several others, and they all either do, uh, NET uses person, um, 
a lot of them do something like to full maturity. They just get rid of the person piece of it altogether, which I think does injustice to the body metaphors that we keep coming back to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but at least it's trying to do away with the weird gender exclusion that's happening here. But ESV is just like, bulldozed now we're going with manhood <laughs> the only other significant translation that does that is the king james oh uh, until we arrive at the full you know, measure of four against ago. the wall right yeah so and they do um a mature or complete i don't remember what the other word is but they just do man not manhood in king james mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. so there's my rant on the misogyny of the ESV, but yeah, well, and it's yeah, it's not only that they missed out on the body and person theme and pattern going on in Ephesians four. Mm-hmm. That would have been enough, <laughs> right? Uh, it it's not just <laughs> what what they landed on was like, no, we're gonna actually just like use manhood like their favorite word it is their kink it is their safe word you know like Mm -hmm. they love manhood and it's Mm -hmm. they chose to like shoehorn that random shit into the middle of this otherwise totally rad stretch of scripture Mm -hmm. i can't understand i mean i can't understand i just really don't want to it makes because it's sad and angry (laughs) Mm mm-hmm which are important feelings. I just don't like having to get involved in that when I'm just trying to yeah, step into a wisdom tradition, you know? Yeah. Cause a lot of the arguments are like, we talk about, well, man just means human get over it. Like it doesn't mean it's not intended to exclude women. Manhood is never used that way. That's not how that word is used. Mankind. Yeah. So if they had said mature mankind, Okay, you can go ahead and do that, that argument. Manhood is only ever about masculine men. Yes. There's no argument there. Yeah. John Wayne and all that. Yeah. Oi. Well, thank you for making it <laughs> a bit better. Yeah. I can feel my blood boil a little bit here. Good, but... good. I hope I hope that's good. Ah, well, you know, that got us up to uh, about the breaking point in the chapter. So we should probably wrap this up. We've got a day ahead of us. We are both so thankful for your company on this leg of the journey, everybody. The easiest way to support this uh, Founding Translation is to leave us a rating or review uh, on whatever app or player or website you're enjoying this on. Share it. Make people able to know about it, especially if you're using Apple Podcasts. That does help other people discover this if they search for words like Bible. Uh, so the second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor. You get you can do that for just five bucks a month. When you do that, you'll get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. Bye, everybody. <laughs>